Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ozil. Marca Mesut Ozil. Se crece, se crece el Arsenal. Mesut Ozil. Gol vuelve. Que marca Dani vuelve. Que el 0-2 en medio minuto. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there, welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. Goodly evening to you. Yes, goodly evening. Better late than never. This is very true. Before we get into the, all that, I just want to tell people that today's podcast is sponsored by Cornerstone. Uh, you get razors, they shave you wherever you've got hair, you can use these razors to shave it off. And you get a cool razor with your initials, go to cornerstone.co.uk forward slash arseblog to get £10 off. I'll give you a few more details later on. So, better late than never. Where the hell were you? Where the hell was I? I have been in Wales, of all places, of all the countries of the world. It's, I mean, it's, it's just kind of there. It's like attached to the side of England, so it's convenient. It is, it is. It's like a little, little growth, isn't it, on the, on the edge. <laughs> um, I've been at a comedy festival in McCunthleth. Say uh, that again. McCunthleth, yes, yes. <laughs> I've, I've been putting the cunt into McCunthleth uh, <laughs> for the last three days. Um, and it's brilliant. It's a genuinely fantastic comedy festival in this tiny little Welsh town. And uh, I had a lovely time. Excellent. Mm. That is but good. I, I have, you know, just literally just got out of the car, driven back. I think it took about six hours all in all. So I'm a little bit spaced out. But then that's, I mean, I always seem a bit spaced out on the show anyway. I don't think it's going to matter enormously. No, I don't think so. I don't think people, people were, you know, a little bit anxious, a little bit upset that it wasn't there this morning. But Ang- look, should we say angry? Um, I don't know if they were necessarily <laughs> angry. You know, I, I think, good, I, 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 think I talked them down. It's a bank holiday as well. You know, people were understanding it's a bank holiday. You know, yeah, but all the more reason to need a podcast. I mean, people aren't even at work; they've got nothing to do, guys. Yeah, this and is. I'm very sorry true. that I'm sorry to keep you waiting. Well, there we are. We're here now, though, and that's good. That's good. It is good. We're here, and it's good. It is good. So, where do we start? Good. I don't know. Um, I don't know where to start on this one because, well, there's football to talk about, sure. Arsenal to talk about, protests to talk about, Premier League title to talk about, and stuff and things. Um, so I mean, where to begin? Where to begin? Where to begin? I mean, you obviously got to see the match down in McCunthleck. Yes, I did. I did mm. via illegal streaming means. I, I so I hope the police aren't listening. Come on, illegal streams. Yeah, we're all for it. But um, hey, what happens? Imagine if you watched Ghostbusters and an Arsenal match on illegal streams, and then you crossed the streams. Would that be bad? What do you mean if you crossed the streams? You've sh- What? Surely you've oh. seen Ghost- Ghostbusters. Oh, I see. See? I see. I'm uh, with you now. Uh, that's a six-hour drive playing Guys, tricks with your it's hands. a really long drive. It's a really <laughs> long drive. Um, that, that would, I mean, that would work. That would work. I had uh, Russian commentary on my stream. That's good. I quite like foreign commentary. It sort of um, gives you a bit of distance from the game. It's sort of, you know, I feel like a lot of the British pundits, they kind of poison your opinion, don't they? Yes. With their their nonsense. No, it's true. And I think, I remember watching a game before and finding on the satellite thing that I have, which no longer works, unfortunately. I've got to get like some codes or some shit for it anyway, but that's beside the point. Um, I was able to get Canal Plus, Spanish Canal Plus. Right. And one of the options, one of the audio options was like, listen to the 
listen to the commentators, the guys who do the uh, the little bits at the start of this podcast. That's where we get those bits of commentary. Mm-hmm. Or watch the game without any commentary at all. You just have crowd noise. And it was fantastic because I was watching the game and then afterwards I found that quite a lot of what I thought and what other people thought were were different. And I'm assuming that the reason so many people thought differently was because it's stuff that they, they, they hear during the game, the commentators, and, you know, whether it's deliberate or not, that sort of clouds your opinion. All of a sudden, it's not your own opinion. It's what the commentators are saying or what the pundit is saying or what they say at half time. I think it does make a difference to the way uh, that people view a game or discuss a game afterwards because they've had all this information put into their head that like when something happens, it's like, this is what happened and this is why it happened. And there's no other way. There's no other side of it. So it is good. Yeah. Exactly. Like sometimes I watch a game in a foreign language or without commentary, or if, even if you're just attending a match live and it's televised and you come back and it's clear the discourse has been really informed by what pundits and commentators have said on television. And mm. sometimes it feels completely alien and foreign to what you've seen. So, yeah, yeah the fact that I speak no Russian at all gave me a nice, uh, nice objective view on the game. Yeah, that's very good. OK, well, I mean, it wasn't much of a game. I can't imagine they were getting terribly excited in Russian about what was going on. They didn't sound it. As I say, I'm not fluent, but they didn't sound particularly enthused, no. Yeah. I was on a bus beside uh, a Russian man. Not during the match. Not during the match, a few weeks ago. (laughs) And he was in deep conversation on his mobile phone. And he was either very, very angry at somebody Mm. or telling his family how much he loved them. I couldn't, you know, it's hard to tell. It sounds... What, what sort of telling them he loves them? Like some, telling them that before he sort of committed a, a very dangerous crime that no, could seem I incarcerated just, I just, and separated from them? No, I just... And I don't want to, like, offend any of our Russian listeners out there, because I know there's one or two, but it just sounded... It's hard to know that he could be saying the most beautiful things, but it's just the sound of the language doesn't I lend see. itself to to romance or, or what have you. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I understand. It's not the most gentle on the ear. Mm. Yeah. Uh, there's a, there's a, a coarseness to it, but, you know, there's a beauty in that as well. There is. It's like, um, it's like a giant mm. fixing it's the like, wings of a butterfly. That was one of the problems when Andrea Sharvin was... Uh, Arsenal, no one knew if he was saying, I'd like to go and train some more, or could I have another pizza? <laughs> it was unclear. And can you please melt some Snickers into the top of the pizza while you're yeah. at it? He wants a Snickers stuffed crust pizza. <laughs> Chicago town making those, I'm sure. I hope so. Um, all right, so yeah, the first half, thanks, Petr Cech, you're quite good. He is quite good. He is. More, more clean sheets than any other goalkeeper in the Premier League. Is that correct for him? Is it? I think, I think I've seen that. I mean, if I haven't, then, you know, sue me. Right. I just made it up. Okay. But I think, I think he has. I think he's kept something like, oh, I don't know, 15 clean sheets for Arsenal this season it is. It's the most in the Premier League. It's level with uh, Joe Hart and Kasper Schmeichel, one ahead of David De Gea. Wow. Mm. You'd never have thought that, would you? No, not given the way we've been defending of late, certainly. Yeah. Um, he's played less games than Hart and Schmeichel as well, so his clean sheet ratio is also the best in the Premier League. Right. So he's currently on target for the Golden Glove. OK, so I think we can safely say he's good. And we like him, and please keep doing what you're doing. Yes, please, that would be nice. OK. 
He made a couple of good saves from uh, Nathan Redmond. Important saves, yeah. Mm. I mean, Arsenal were exposed on the counter-attack, I thought, several times, and he he was the guy who stopped Norwich taking the lead. I, I dread to think what the atmosphere might have been like had they gone ahead. Yes, yes. Mm. Uh, that would not, <laughs> would not have been pleasant. <laughs> Wouldn't have been pretty. No, no. Whatever minute it would mm. scored in, yeah. Yeah, um, so first half was like terrible from an Arsenal point of view. Second half, we're forced into an early change because Per Mertesacker pulled his hamstring and that's going to be season done for Per, you've got to think. I should think so, yeah. I should mm. think that's probably it for him. But then, five minutes later, Danny Welbeck gets the nod. Now, 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 go on. Now, one of two things has happened here. <laughs> now, I, I suspect someone might have been tampering with Arsene's watch. <laughs> yeah, Arsene, there's only 19 minutes to go. Fuck, get Danny Welbeck on quick. Yeah, so if you look very carefully at the bench, Steve Bold leans over and sort of you know fiddles with with Arsene's watch and moves the time along. I don't know. I mean, or. Or could it be? Could it be that it was a genuine change of policy, and he thought I desperately need to do something to enliven this game? Mm. I, I suspect it was the latter. Well, that, that's lovely. In that case, I was surprised and delighted. Well, However, go on. What did you make of the reaction to the substitution from the crowd? Well, I kind of understood it in a way, because obviously Olivier Giroud had been having a difficult game. Can we say? Dare Certainly. we say? That, Certainly. That he, he looked as if it was a difficult game and that he found the, the sport of football, in general, quite difficult. And gravity was a challenge for him. Standing up. Standing up was generally something that he was struggling with at that time. Yeah. it's Movement. Not, yeah. Movement. I, I don't know how his breathing was. It seemed that basically all the fundamentals <laughs> were, were falling from him. Yeah. His motor functions had deserted him at various points during the game. Sadly yeah. so. It, it, so I understood it from that point of view. Uh, and I think, obviously, the people who were uh, expressing their dismay at the decision wanted Giroud to come off and Welbeck to come on. But mm. I have to say, when I uh, when I was watching it, I didn't have a, I didn't have a problem with it because we needed a goal, and I always felt like it would be better to play with two strikers, keep Giroud on just in case, um, uh, and stick Welbeck on. And I had this vain hope just for a moment just for a moment that we might even do something ridiculous like play two up top I sure. thought perhaps something crazy like I know it's never ever been done in football before I just thought that maybe this time we might do it I don't think you were ever going to get a substitution before the 70th minute and 4-4-2 in the same game no no that was face is not that kind no that was too much to, to hope for but mm. uh, I mean look it worked out didn't it because I thought it will be a bit okay, but like not not particularly great or anything like that. Uh, and I suppose if you're gonna, if if the only reason you make a substitution is that you're taking off the worst player, then of course I think Giroud would probably have have come off. But there's a bit more to it than that. And uh, as it turns out, uh, he made a very telling contribution to to the goal. He did indeed. Uh, and Welbeck was was really good. I thought in his half hour. Yeah. Uh, um, I thought he he was probably. I thought his performance was the most memorable individual performance of the day from an Arsenal point of view, mm. and not just for the goal. He harried very well. He offered a threat in behind. Um, I mean, his performance begged the question: Why is he not starting at the moment? I mean, I was really surprised to see Giroud start the game 
in the first place. <laughs> Did it feel to you, now I, I'm just talking from my own point of view, it felt sure. a little bit to me like... No, the a way fuck, I, a fuck you. <laughs> I was going to be. I was going to be a bit more diplomatic than that and say that Arsene Wenger, as we know, uh, yeah. can be a, a touch on the stubborn side when he wants to be. And given what was going on and everything else that was going on, you know, it, it felt a little bit like a fuck you. You know, I'm going to stay with this guy who hasn't looked like scoring in in the last three games that I've started him in. He hasn't scored in the Premier League since January. I do wonder if there was an element of well. The, the law of averages says he's got to score sooner or later. But like you, I was surprised that Welbeck didn't get the nod for this particular game. Did you see the interview with him afterwards on Sky? I did see that, yeah. Mm. He, and he said, he, he said he's, you know, I, I, did he, what did he say? I've only been playing half an hour and I'm, I'm blowing now. You yeah. Know, I'm not quite, I'm not quite as, as fit as he, I might be. But saying that, he did start. And perform well in games like Everton, Everton you know, Watford, West Ham, Watford Barcelona. Mm. Um, so it would seem odd if his fitness is dropping off. Um, and, and I feel like we would have heard more about it if there was a, a genuine problem. There. Yeah, I mean, he did admit more or less that he is short in match fitness. But of course, the way to get match fit is to play matches. Um, That's it. <laughs> do, you, do you? A on. lot of people said on my Twitter timeline, they tweeted me and stuff saying. Um, Oh, Arsene's thinking about Euro 2016 and France, and he, he wants Giroud to get some form back so he can keep his international place. Do you think there's any no, truth in that at all? No, no, I don't. I don't think so. I think probably what he did was look at it as a home game. Perhaps it's a chance for Giroud to restore some confidence and maybe to get a goal. And then, if you really need a goal, then at least you have a more viable option on the bench. Mm. in Welbeck, somebody who can add something rather than bring off the bench a uh, hopelessly out of form, broken man uh, who's finding it difficult to stay upright, let alone score a goal. You know, so maybe yeah. there was some logic in that sense. But, I mean, yeah. it's a di- I, don't, I don't really know. It's difficult to, to understand his thinking at the best of times. But It is, especially given that, I mean, we said this last week, I think, but it seemed that Arsenal were developing a kind of... Uh, there was nothing necessarily new about it, but a different style of attacking play, more based around a centre forward with speed. Yeah, um, and we seem to have gone scrap that effectively. Yeah, uh, and that's really surprising because that was something that was kind of working. Actually, yeah, and, and maybe as well, you look at the. It's been highlighted before that Giroud and Alexis don't necessarily mm-hmm. have the best on-pitch relationship, and I don't mean that in the sense that they don't like each other, but in terms of how they work together, it doesn't mm-hmm. seem to function that well. And you could probably say, although it's very early days, that that Iwobi and Giroud don't necessarily uh, dovetail in any very meaningful way, because when Iwobi was playing with Alexis, there was this this energy, this movement down the left-hand side in particular where the two of them worked very well in tandem. And it also freed Alexis up on the right-hand side to cut inside and be a little more effective in the in the penalty area. Whereas when you have Giroud, who is fundamentally a static centre-forward, off whom we try and play and move the ball around, you know, it, it, it seems, to, seems to take away from both of the wide players. And when both of your wide players' skills or talents are, are negated, then it becomes much more difficult for the team to threaten from an attacking point of view. I mean, it was really obvious to me that Norwich had a game plan, and that was force Arsenal into the middle, make it really, really, really narrow, don't allow them any space um, 
down the flanks. And and what mm-hmm. happens to us sometimes is that when we when the game starts getting played in midfield, we go, okay, well, let's do it. Let's look for that like inch perfect pass through seven men and see if we can feed the ball into the box rather than go, hey, wait a minute, let's stretch it ourselves. Let's try and work the ball and work the, the, the opposition around and stretch it wide and see if we can pull them out of shape and, and then create some space in the, in the middle for our, for our center forward. I mean, I don't think as badly as he played, I don't think Giroud got a decent ball into the box or a decent cross. So it's, um, yeah, I, I don't That's really true, understand. We're, we're, we're quite easily lulled into the trap, aren't we? If you, if you set up to defend against us and make it narrow, uh, we don't. We're not the best at stretching the play, moving the pit ball from one side to the other. We will just say, okay, we'll 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 take on the challenge of trying to unpick a really tightly packed defence, mm. because I think Arsene Wenger believes in the technical ability of his players and thinks they can do that, and they have the kind of individual brilliance to do it. But there's probably a, a simpler, more strategic approach that would give the opposition more problems and maybe be a little bit more reliable. Yeah. Um, saying all that about Giroud, it was a good knockdown for the goal. It really was, yeah. It was um, very nice. Nice finish too from Welbeck. Very good finish. I mean, what did you make of the ear cupping from Giroud? Oh, on a very human level, of course, I think you can understand it. Um, What's he saying there? Is he say- what, what do you think he's saying there? He's sort of saying, I can't hear you calling me a shit bastard donkey fucker now can I? Uh, can, I? Oh, yeah. can I? oh I can shit oh some oh. of you still are some of you still think I wait am. Oh. wait no I'll just close over my I think that's you know I think that's what it was it was more like got something to say now huh huh look what I did feast upon my knockdown how dare you I yeah. am the man <laughs> I thought he went a, maybe a little bit far in his post-match interview. He actually used the phrase like "it feels good to be back," you know, not on the score sheet but with an assist kind oh, of thing. And I was I, like, "Yeah, you're set it forward." You know, I know what he means, but he needs a goal, doesn't he? He needs he needs more than one goal. Yeah, he does. He needs more than just a knockdown. And look, I'm not taking anything away from that. And I understand that if you're playing. I think I think a his confidence is completely and utterly gone. He looks a fucking absolute broken mess. Yeah. Um, and you, you could you could say that criticism of him from the stands or whatever from wherever it's coming from could be counterproductive in a way that like if if the guy is really really struggling, maybe a bit of support, a bit of backing would help him. But at the same time, when he hasn't scored a Premier League goal since January, I think it's probably a bit much to cup your ear after you just nodded the ball down for somebody else to score. You know, I think... Uh, I'm inclined to agree, yeah. (laughs) I think choose your moments, and that wasn't the moment. That was not the moment. Like scoring a hat trick, and then maybe on the third goal, giving it a bit of that. Maybe. Is it it ever okay to give that to your own fans? I don't know. Look, I think there's a touch of preciousness, isn't there, about um, the whole fans thing? Give, fans give a lot out. And fans they give a lot out. I think you've got to take a little bit back. But it's how and when you get that back <laughs> that determines how people will react to it. You know, it certainly didn't offend me in any way, but mm. I, I don't think it was the smartest thing in the world to do. You know, in the current climate, given how badly things have gone and how poorly he's played and how he just hasn't been scoring I think it was <laughs> it was quite unwise but from a you know a human level on a human level I, I can kind of understand it too but I, I do yeah 
So you mentioned the climate there. I mean, is there anything else you wanted to say about the, the match itself in particular, or is it worth talking about kind of the, the atmosphere that surrounded it? Um, well, no, I don't think there's much else to say other there than... There wasn't it was a lot good, else to say, was no, there? No, I mean, it was a good three, a good three points in, in the circumstances. Um, obviously, then Manchester City dropped points yesterday mm-hmm. to Southampton, which is good. Manchester United... Not drop points, but they've got a couple of games in hand, don't they? So they've, um, you know, they they denied Leicester the title, but um, still only took one point from that game. So that's good for for us as well from a from a top four, top three point of view. But that's really about as far as you can go with the with the game itself. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. So yeah, obviously, then the other stuff that was going on were was the protests. Yes, the protests, the protests. I, I sort of, um, in a way, glad I, I wasn't there to witness it this week. It felt, uh, certainly from what I watched, it felt very odd and uncomfortable. And I don't say that as a criticism of anyone who protested. I fully understand some of their frustrations and I, and I defend their right to do it. But it was a strange spectacle. Yeah, I mean, it was hardly... I, you know, I think if... 60% or 70% of the stadium held up signs saying time for change, then that's that's quite profound. That's difficult to ignore. Yeah. You know, the message there is very, very fucking clear. But when it was isolated pockets of people holding up pieces of paper, it just looked a little bit ineffective. And I think ultimately it was ineffective. What I don't necessarily agree with is the the outright dismissal of the protest because it it obscures the sentiment behind it and i think what's what's true is that a lot of people would be open to change but weren't interested in protesting in that way for whatever reason they've all got their various reasons they weren't interested in doing what uh, the protesters did uh, and holding up the the pieces of paper but yeah. but it doesn't it doesn't mean that only a few people want change it doesn't mean that there aren't a lot of people a lot of uh, people who pay their money every week and pay their season tickets who wouldn't like a new manager it just means that there were more people there who weren't interested in in protesting and i thought it was quite interesting the um, you know, the protest went up, some people held up signs, and some people, you could see cameras, one guy going, what are you doing? And then another guy goes, I was just holding my piece of paper here. And then there was a, we love you, Arsenal, we do. And then there was a, a one Arsene Wenger chant, which uh, I think was probably more to do with showing him respect in the stadium than all those people being absolutely 100% behind Arsene Wenger and what he's doing and the work he's doing. Yeah, of course. Arsene Wenger could, uh, you know, leave in disastrous circumstances at the end of next season, you know, having had a, endured a terrible campaign with Arsenal and his name, one Arsene Wenger would still be sung on the final day because mm. whatever happens, you know, his legacy will remain and his reputation will be huge, huge and, and for, for years and years to come. I think you're absolutely right and that... You know, I mean, has anyone dared put a sort of guesstimate on the amount of protesters there may have been within that 60,000 people in that stadium? Has anyone even hazarded a guess at that? I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, It didn't look, look like lots, did it? I mean, No, it didn't. It didn't. I mean, we were talking about this on the Arscast on Friday, myself and Tim Stillman, and the idea that what 
what happens on Twitter isn't necessarily what happens in real life, or you can, you can, I don't want to say fool yourself, but you can come to believe that because a lot of people follow you on Twitter and think the same as you, that this somehow represents the majority view. Yeah. It's, it's clearly not the case. Uh, as Tim said, lots of people who were there uh, would, have a, would have had no idea whatsoever that there was going to be any kind of protest at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know how many people were involved or in terms of a percentage. I don't think we ever really got like a, a, a wide shot which showed yeah. a percentage that you could try and gauge. You know, I would say... Thousand, couple of thousand. I don't know. I don't. I can't guess because I, I wasn't there, and probably somebody who was there could could uh, could make a, a guess better than than I could. No. But it, but it comes back down to I, I really think that people just weren't prepared to join in with that particular protest for a multitude of reasons. Um, but it doesn't mean that the overriding sentiment isn't shared by a lot of people. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. It feels very personal. It feels like I'm about to ask, like, who you voted for in the elections or something <laughs> like that. W- had you been present, mm-hmm. would you have protested? No. You would not? No. Um, do you mind if I ask what your grounds would be for that? I just don't feel like it's the right thing to do during a game. Right. I wouldn't have... I mean, I, again, I said it on the blog and said it on the podcast. I fully respect people's right to do that uh, if that's what they choose to do. Uh, I've said it on the podcast, I've said it on the blog before that I would like uh, a new manager at the club, but I think that the protest, no, I wouldn't wouldn't have done it inside the stadium. I wonder if it Uh, Because, no, I don't, do you know what the thing is? Maybe there are people who who believe that they can bring about change in certain ways. Mm-hmm. And maybe they feel so strongly about something that they 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 want to try and affect change. And I, you know, I'm just a guy who supports a football team. And even if I don't like w- the way things are going or the way that the season has gone or our ambition or lack of ambition, I, I just don't feel like I'm not a fucking campaigner. I'm not that guy. So it's just kind of against my my nature in principle. I can talk about things and analyze things and write about them and try and find a view. And I've I've always tried to be honest with my views on things. But no, I I, I just wouldn't have I wouldn't have felt right doing it. To be perfectly honest, what about you? I know exactly what you mean. But I sort of playing devil's advocate or protesters advocate, I suppose. Do you think that? You know, I guess what the protest is against is, a, uh, in part, is the way the club has changed and feels less connected, maybe, with its supporters than it has previously. I that think extends ma- maybe. to the manager and the and the board. Or maybe, you think yeah. Look, Go I on. think those are side issues. To be right. perfectly honest, I think this was a protest that tried to be broad, to get in as many people as it as it could, and I don't deny that there are issues and everybody can see that there are certain issues at board level and things that need to be things that need to uh, to change or things that could be improved at board level right um but i ultimately i feel like this was a protest aimed squarely at the manager at, mm. at, at bringing about a change in manager that this is what we want we want change we want you know i think this the, the cronky stuff i think the board stuff i think all of that was pretty much a side issue to water down what was effectively a protest against arsen wenger and i i think perhaps it suffered because of the lack of focus maybe 
Maybe. I mean, maybe it would have been more successful had they been that direct with it. Yeah. I, I take your point about sort of almost not feeling, not feeling compelled to kind of intervene. I do understand that fully. But I do wonder if, like, part of the issue with the way the club is and feels at the moment is because the fans have been generally quite passive, you know, for, for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And as much as I share your concerns about protesting during the 90 minutes, and I don't know, I don't think I would have protested had I been there in the stands. I do at least, I do think that supporters making themselves heard, <clears throat> if they if they, is important and is good, uh, even if it's not a majority, I think it's important that they express their views. I, I don't. I don't necessarily think they'll be listened to, but well, I, I mean, think yeah. it's a positive thing that they're that they're doing it. No, absolutely. I would. I would absolutely agree with that, and that's why I really had no pro- problem with the the protest taking place. But I think for a protest to be really effective, for it to have the the desired effect. It's got to be done in the right way. Mm. And I think there were elements of this protest that were not done in the right way, that were unsavory to certain people or to probably decent people. I think that there's been an aggression. Is that the right word? I don't know. Just an edge of aggression to some of it, which I don't think is particularly healthy, and I think it puts people off. And I think you're absolutely right. It is important that supporters are heard because ultimately they're the ones that, that pay the money and and, uh, and keep clubs going. But I think as well, there's an onus on those uh, those who represent supporters and there are Arsenal fan groups and, and, uh, and everything else uh, who choose to do that, not individuals. There are, indi- there are um, what, there's, what, three or four, isn't there? There's Red Action, there's Black Scarf, Black Scarf. there's the Arsenal Supporters Trust, uh, mm-hmm. and there's uh, ASA, isn't there? The Arsenal Independent Supporters Association, who, yeah. uh, as far as I'm aware, had nothing to say about this protest. I, I didn't see their name mentioned once, either for it or against it. So yeah. I think they stayed pretty quiet on, on the whole thing. But I think there's an onus on those groups to do things the right way and to make sure that they're not hijacked to make sure that the message that's got across is respectful and that people aren't put off or don't want to be associated with it um, because a lot of people as we said a lot of people would have shared the overall or the overriding view or aim of that protest but for whatever reason weren't prepared to, to do that or join in in any significant yeah. way so, I uh, wonder if uh, I wonder if the, this process will slightly change attitude towards those people who've held up banners at the end of matches. You know, when in relative terms, if people's objection is, you know, to do so within a game, I mm. wonder if those people be looked at in a different light now. It's very difficult. It's what, very very difficult. What do you think is going to happen now, though? I mean, do you think that like, okay, we've had the protest against Norwich. Is that it? Is, or is this going to be something that it's happens? It's the airplane next, isn't it? You have to like, hire an airplane. Well, yeah, Everton, Everton hired an airplane at the weekend. More, um, thingy out. Roberto Martinez I mean, Martin the thing is, is the, the big difference is, I, I think Everton fans will get their way because they've got an owner coming in who's brand new, who's looking to make himself um, 
you know, popular with the supporters, I imagine, mm. <clears throat> looking to ingratiate himself there. He's going to listen to them. You know, Martinez is underperforming. I think they probably will make a change. But, I, but, sh- but, but was that change not going to be made anyway, whether yes, or not supporters exactly. pro- That's protested? Fair. That's absolutely fair. I'm not sure that there's anything that the Arsenal fans could do that would really make any difference. Yeah, but do you not uh, worry that... From yeah, go on. not renew their season tickets. Well, yeah, that's that's the thing. That's the thing. I just worry that, like, this is going to happen at every game, every single game. Um, and, yeah, I don't know if that's a healthy thing either, so... That definitely isn't a healthy thing, actually, I, I would say. Mm. Um, it sort of doesn't really feel like it matters enormously right now, I guess because the season has petered out quite so dramatically. Yeah. If I see another player or manager talking about the game against Manchester as, as a final, I'm going to be really, <laughs> really annoyed. Um, because it doesn't feel like one to no, me. No, it, doesn't. it uh, doesn't. It feels like a third, fourth playoff. The worst of all games. Yeah, the, the most fucking stupid game in any tournament ever. Like, less than nobody ever cares who comes third or fourth in yeah. a World Cup or a European Championships. I mean, if I... I, appreciate- I, I, I <laughs> Like, I appreciate it does make a difference in the Premier League in terms of automatic qualification for the Champions League or not, but yeah. I am finding it hard to get excited about that. Mm. Uh, yeah, I don't really know. I feel like we're, we're, you know, we're going around the house on these protests. It's very difficult to... I mean, what did you make of the manager's response to it all? Well, yeah, I thought that was interesting. He was asked by the BBC what his message was for the, uh, for the fans who displayed the banners. And he said, the message is, we respect the opinion of everybody. Uh, I've shown my commitment to the club. I care for the club and the fans. I'm really sorry that I cannot make them all happy, uh, but we'll continue to work hard to achieve it. I do think by l- looking at him and the interviews that he gave after the game, and I think he was affected by it. Mm. I think that perhaps he has been, I won't say allowed, but has sort of existed within a bubble to an extent because you're, you're protected as, uh, you, you live in a different world from the rest of us. Like he doesn't do Twitter and he doesn't do Facebook. And he doesn't do blogs and podcasts and all those things. So, you know, for, for him during the week, he's, his focus is on his work. Anything that's happened in the stadium previously, you know, a couple of chants of you don't know what you're doing. Do you remember the, the Oxide Chamberlain Arshavin thing? And, you know, yeah. a couple of, you know, booze when we have a bad result. All those are easy to understand and compartmentalize as part of football. And he's been around football long enough to know that when you play shit and you have a terrible result at home, chances are there's going to be some booze for the team. And, you know, that's fine. But you can compartmentalize those and leave them aside because you go, well, there's another game and we can win the fans back or we can make them happy by winning another game. But I think you could see after what happened at the weekend and the fact that these protests were visible in the stadium, I think it it did have a a bit of an effect on him. What what that effect might be, we, we wait and see. Could it make him even more stubborn than he is already? Or could it make him go, well, okay, I'm, I have to perhaps reassess and uh, maybe do things a little bit differently? Or do, do I have to work harder to bring success to these fans? What, uh, yeah, I mean, it's difficult to say how, how that will play out. But what do you... It's interesting, we talked about the thing of uh, people online not... People, how you can get lost in your own world and on Twitter, you know, you can think that everybody agrees with you, that there's a consensus out there because effectively you're following and listening to the people you choose to follow and listen to. So it can be slightly misleading. The same is also true 
of someone in Arsenal's position who's not part of that discourse. Uh, he can be as isolated or yeah. unclear as the broader picture. So it works both ways. Did you chat on Friday about um, his comments about the fans, about how they've affected the the title race? You know, the, the difficult atmosphere The at difficult home. climate, no, because we had recorded exactly, Thursday yeah. evening, so we didn't get a chance to... What did you make to that? Clumsy. Yeah. Unfortunate, I would say. But deliberate. Like, I don't think Arsene Wenger is a man who uses words that he doesn't weigh up. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I I mean, unfortunate in the sense of I wish it hadn't happened. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. From that point of view. Yeah, look, I mean, some of the stuff that he said just didn't, didn't make any sense. You know, the... The, uh, the the uh, we're champions away from home. That's well, we're not. <laughs> we're not. But there's no such fucking thing anyway. There's no such thing as champions away from home. Um, somebody said, no I, can't remember I think we're about third. Aren't <laughs> yeah, we, anyway. we're, we're third. As as uh, so I was somebody either on Twitter or on the Arsis said, "Yay, third place away from home champions trophy." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so I mean that didn't that didn't stack up. And and what he said about the the atmosphere and you know the difficult climate. Yes, it's a difficult climate. But there's a reason why it's a difficult climate. It's not because fans are spoiled. It's not because fans are self-entitled. You know, there's always an element of that um, at every football club. But for the most part, the atmosphere is dictated to by what happens on the pitch. And on the blog, you know, I made the, the, the point about the Manchester United game, which was absolutely brilliant. The ground was absolutely electric. It was buzzing that day. And why? Because the team played really, really well really well and that's what drove the atmosphere and similarly when fans see the same mistakes or when they seem see the team lose at home to like Swansea those kind of things you're going well how can it be anything other than difficult why should it be anything other than difficult you know there's there is okay yeah fans and supporters should get behind the team and that's absolutely true but fans and supporters are human they're human they see what's going on. There's only so much they can take to, uh, you know, when, when you when you watch mistakes or when you watch the same kind of football or when you watch a team that should be winning the title not win the title. There's only so much you get. That's what that's what makes the the climate difficult. If you want somebody to cheer throughout the ninety minutes, regardless of what happens, go out and fill the ground with cheerleaders. Mm. That's the only way to do it. So I thought those comments were a little bit. Uh, yeah, he shouldn't have said that because it was absolutely wrong, in my opinion. And I think, again, that might be part of why he was affected um, by what happened inside the ground against Norwich. That perhaps it was a realisation. Like, for me, it was like if he had said, it's been a difficult climate, but, you know, that's pro- you know we take our part in that. He didn't even really say that. He said, you know, we understand their frustration, but there wasn't anything like, well, you know, we know that we've we've underperformed, or you know, we're we're going to work even harder, or we're going to do everything we can to, you know, just like a little sop to the fans in terms of, okay, we're, we're taking the, some of this responsibility too. There wasn't that. Like if he'd had a little go at the fans and also had a little go at himself and the players, I don't think anyone would really have uh, had anything. Um, anything to object to but as it was it felt just a little bit like okay this is <laughs> you're pointing the barrels outwards here and you know that's that's not on really it's not on and it's not a smart move really no. uh, in 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 the current climate i feel like we that could become a catchphrase for this show in the last few weeks in the current climate but it, 
as things stand, it's it's not a mm. a good way to go because and it shows again that maybe he is a little bit out of touch with the sentiment that exists out there. Yeah, and how uh, what's the word volatile the mood is. Mm. All right. Well, look, uh, we should take a break, and mm. uh, we're going to come back with some questions in part two right after this. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This week, sponsored by Cornerstone. James, when was the last time you had a really close shave? Um, on the motorway, on the way back from Wales, I nearly fell asleep at the wheel. But apart from that, <laughs> <laughs> uh, quite a while ago, I'm looking. I'm looking sort of. Is that I'm rocking the homeless chic look once again. So quite. All right. Long. Well, look. If you're ever uh, in need of a very close shave you should go to cornerstone.co.uk forward slash arseblog and they send you German-engineered precision blades to shave that homeless fluff off your face. Lovely. As well as that, they give you a razor with your own initials engraved on it so your housemate wouldn't, like, nick your razor because he'd know it was yours. Use it for something untoward. Yes, absolutely. So you can get £10 off... And all these blades and cool razors by going to cornerstone.co.uk forward slash arseblog. And it all helps the podcast. So thank you very much indeed. Cornerstone.co.uk forward slash arseblog. Now, I have to dedicate this particular section of the show to one man in particular. Special guy. He's a special guy. It's Steve. His name is Steve. Right, okay. And his uh, Twitter handle is at one Zeon. He's a gooner and he loves gaming. He sounds good so far. Sounds good so far. The reason I'm dedicating this one to him is because I said I'm recording with Gunnar Blog soon. Send in your questions. We're going to send in the questions. And he said, no point. As most serious questions are ignored by the how do you eat a cream egg bollocks every week? The how do you eat a cream eggs bollocks, James? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, if a cream egg had bollocks, where would they be? On the underside? I guess. I mean, they are quite bollock-shaped. You could eat whole two, couldn't you? Yeah. And pretend they were bollocks. I mean, why you would then do that? I mean, does that mean when if they are a bollock, when you bite into them and that white stuff comes out, what's that? Uh, That's not yolk, my friend. Oh, uh, there's some yellow stuff too. Well, that must be some sort of infection. Uh, well, yes, yes. Maybe if, you know, testicular cancer uh, takes a bollock away from you, you could, you could replace it with a cream egg. Be what a bit a melty. For whoever discovers it. <laughs> <laughs> how, hey. do you eat, how do you eat yours? I eat mine out of a testicular sack. <laughs> I, <laughs> yes. Mmm, scrotomy goodness. Hmm. So anyway, Steve, this comment section is entirely, or this uh, part of the show is entirely for you. I'll level with you. I, I don't think Steve's listening anymore. <laughs> I think he's probably switched <laughs> off in a, in a furious rage. Um, Steve's not happy that yeah. I came back from Wales, but what can you do? Mm. I hope you're still with us, Steve. I'll do a serious question, shall I? Yeah, do, sort of... do, yeah. Okay, well, All there right. we go. Brendan Dean at D2Eno on Twitter. He asks, what are your thoughts on Alexis's reaction to being brought off? Well, storm. Well, I used the word stormed. I put, I attached an emotion to it when it really what he did was he walked down the tunnel. Mm, He did walk down the tunnel, didn't he? Mm. And he shouldn't have walked down the tunnel. 
even if he was frustrated and even if he was unhappy about being taken off, he shouldn't have walked down the tunnel. He wasn't injured. And uh, yeah, I, I thought perhaps that's a little bit worrying. To be perfectly honest, he's often he off, he's often down the tunnel at full time as well. To be, um, I don't know if that's to be fair or if it's just a, another observation, but he's he's quick away from the field. There was uh, one, wasn't there, a couple of weeks ago? Was it against um, Everton? I think it was against Everton. We had a Might question about it, and he booted the ball straight up in the air, and you know, or right down the other end of the stadium, and just sort of stomped off and went down the tunnel before any other Arsenal player. So, yeah, I think it was a little bit worrying, to be perfectly honest. Um, You wonder if the prevailing mood around the club is not as great as it might be, that players like Alexis, like Mesut Ozil, are a touch frustrated at the, uh, the way this season has panned out, which isn't to say that they're exempt from uh, their part in that. But I think when it comes back down or right back down to the, the, the heart of the matter, you know, the failings stem from from other places really um it's not just uh what what Messet did or didn't do or what Alexis did or didn't do his form has obviously been poor this season uh, relatively or relative to his first season but uh, you know I, they want to win the biggest prizes don't they these guys so of course and say what you like about Alexis but he certainly has the attitude of a winner he mm. won't like the fact that Arsenal have failed quite as badly as they have done this season mm. what did you think I thought, yeah, I thought it, I didn't think it looked great. Um, I think he looks, he looked frustrated and I think he has done over the last few weeks, but I understand that and I share in that frustration and I think uh, some of the players perhaps, as well as some of the fans, would like to see certain changes at the club this summer. I'm not saying that they would necessarily want a new manager to come in, but maybe in terms of the the transfer policy, the playing staff, coaching staff even perhaps. I think that the mood among the supporters may be increasingly prevalent among the squad as Mm. well. Yeah. The gloom is spreading. Yes, it is a bit. It is a bit. Um, Okay. All right. Here's a question then from Brian Richards. Mm-hmm. He's at Brian Richards, which means he's quicker off the mark than all the other Brian Richards in the world who wanted to get Twitter. Well, I'm expecting a good question from a man, you know, so astute. Mm, well, he says, on the American broadcast, which is uh, NBC, Lee Dixon was critical of El Elneny's passes always being to the side slash backward. Thoughts? Hmm. Do you want the stats, by the way, before we do it? I can give you the stats on his passing. I love a stat attack. Let's have it. Let's do it. This is not expected passes. This is actual real passes. <laughs> this is not expected passes. Okay. So, all passes, 81 out of 86 completed. Received 69 passes himself. He made 31 out of 36 passes forward so Mm -hmm. he tried 36 forward passes 31 came off 20 out of 20 backwards passes 30 out of 30 square passes so the only passes that failed for him were ones where he tried uh, obviously to try and uh, build something between the lines or to try something a little bit more adventurous yeah i'm actually looking at a diagram right now Mm. on squawker of his uh passing patterns in the game Mm mm-hmm 
And obviously, the you know the the fight the line between a forward pass and a sideways pass is. I don't know. Do they decide that? Is that 45 degrees? Who knows? Well, I, I'm looking at the actual arrows for the passes, and they right. look pretty much like straight, apart from right. one which was, I think, a free kick, which he okay. which he took and, and clipped out for, uh, went a bit uh, over everyone's head and went out for a goal kick. Ah, uh, uh, yes. I see the one. Yeah. Um, well, I think, I mean, there's, there are quite a lot of sideways passes, but I don't necessarily think that's the worst thing, um, because... You know, at the end of the day, for all his qualities, he's not Mesut Ozil. Hmm. He's not the guy who's there to unpick the defence. And we've been talking in this programme about the need for Arsenal to move the ball from one side of the pitch to the other in order to stretch a very compact defence. If that's what you're trying to do, a sideways pass is no hindrance, it's a help. Um, I think that's harsh of Dixon, and I think that given that... And then he's playing alongside Aaron Ramsey, who is a more creative player, who is a more attacking player. I think and, the onus, and, and one who takes more risks. Yeah, absolutely. The onus is more on the Ramseys of this world, the Urzels, uh, to be adventurous in their passing choices. Elneny's strengths are, you know, his ability to give the team continuity, not necessarily to play the through balls that, that you might expect. Yeah. The other thing to say is that maybe... If we had a more mobile striker making runs in behind the defence, there might be more forward passes from the midfield. Mm. Um, you know, instead of uh, just looking sideways. So I don't know. I don't think it's a problem at all. I think El Nenny has been one of the bright spots of the second half of the season. I, I'm a little bit cautious to kind of go overboard because I I think it would be wrong necessarily to say I don't think we, there's, we could have a better player in central midfield. I, th- I think I'm sure there are. There are players out there, as good as he's been, I'm not sure you could call him a, a world-class player, but I think he's been relatively pretty good, and I think that his role in the side doesn't necessitate him uh, taking risks on the ball. Mm. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I, I don't think it's his job, like you say, to, to be the incisive, creative midfield player. I think you want a player who can keep the team ticking, and mm. that's what he does. He picks the ball up, he makes a pass... Um, when he does try uh, something a little bit more ambitious, sometimes it, it doesn't come off. But for the most part, he's the guy who's picking the ball up off the center halves or picking it up off his midfield partner. So you don't want him trying triangle balls all the way fucking through the game, do you? He's got to, you know, got to be the X most of the time. Simple yeah, pass. Yeah. That's it. You know, so I've got I've got no real problem with it. And look, basically, he attempted more forward passes than he did square passes or backwards passes. Mm. So I think that you know it's a it's a, a strange criticism to make of a guy. You want your midfielders to be solid in possession, um, and and like uh, like we just said, R- Ramsey is a guy who takes a few more risks from an attacking point of view. So let him do that and let El Nenny do what he's doing. I don't think there's anything wrong with the way that Mohamed El Nenny is playing. Um, so, yeah, odd criticism for me. I would agree with you there. All right. um, let's have a question. This one's from uh, at Gareth underscore Stringer. Okay. And he asks, do you agree that the saddest thing about this whole AKB slash WOB thing is the vile way that some Arsenal fans are now treating each other. Yeah. It's always been a big problem for me. I've always hated this immediate division of people into one thing or the other thing. 
because what happens then is that you become completely opposed to the other person's point of view. It's almost political in a way, isn't it? It's like if you're a Democrat and uh, you're, the other guy's a Republican, you don't agree because mm. that's just where your position is from the very start. And this idea that because you support the manager, you, you're completely blind to all his faults is completely wrong, or the idea that if you want the manager out... Uh, you don't see good things in him either is completely wrong. But what it does is when you when you take a, a fixed position and that's your fixed position, it leaves no room for nuance. It leaves no room for discussion, for debate, for understanding. And all it does is create disharmony, division, uh, anger, frustration, because people then argue from one side of the fence to the other without opening their mind even a little bit to the other person's point of view. So, yeah, I think that it's one of the things we've always done on Arsblog is to ban those phrases. You're not allowed to call somebody an AKB or a WOB. You're just not allowed to do it because it's, it's just completely fucking stupid, basically. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's a real shame the way fans um, are at each other's throats and are at odds with each other. And fight with each other. Uh, yeah, it is. It's terrible because ultimately everyone wants the same thing. And this is where I come back to perhaps, you know, the other thing with the, with the protest. That if things are done the right way, then you're more, you'll get more people involved. You get mm. more people in, inclined to take part in them. But because they're viewed through the prism of, well, this faction over here, I don't want to be part of that. So, yeah, I think it's... I think it's fucking bullshit, to be honest. But there you go. That's the reality of it. It has been created. The genie is... You can't get the genie back in the bottle. No. So all you can do, from my point of view, all you can do is try and foster reasonable, balanced debate, be open-minded to people's opinions. But you can see sometimes when, when people talk on Twitter or when they ask you something on Twitter that, like, okay, but there's no point me even replying to you because... You're, you're already putting me in this particular box here and you're not willing to uh, think about um, the, the point of view that I might have. I think the, the sort of desire to polarise and segregate ourselves as a group of supporters is a strange one and it is one that creates conflict um, in a situation where actually... What we're looking for is unity and harmony. There seems to be, a, I mean, maybe it's just human nature. I don't, I don't want to get too deep with it all, but we seem to sort of pick sides, don't we? To set up teams, and uh, it's, it's ugly. It's really ugly. Yeah, but, I, I think you're right. Going. It is human nature. Yeah, it is. That okay, okay. Let's say me and you are fans of whatever, and we set up this thing, and then other fans of that will have their own view on it. I think the minute you you get into a niche. Within that niche, there'll be other niches. You know, yeah. things will separate because of what people think and, and what have you. But, I mean, I do think that there's room. People ought to just be a bit more respectful. Well, tolerant, isn't it? It's, I think people should be more tolerant of others' views. Yeah. When they're reasonable. Yeah. Um, and I think most people are. The vast majority are reasonable in the yeah. way they express themselves. Yeah. Of course, there's a very a slightly mad minority. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But, you know, that exists in everything. I think, unfortunately, you're right, the genie's not, you can't get the genie back in the bottle. Mm. Um, and the genie, I don't know, might sign another 
three-year contract to stay out of the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's the genie, though, I'm afraid. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's, here's a question from Joe Zook at Gunnar JZ. Uh, and he wants to know, I need a, what the hell happened to Joel Campbell, please? Oh, and which youngster will make it next? Oh, okay, Joel Campbell. Uh, what happened to Joel Campbell, I think, is that Arsene remembered that he's Joel Campbell and he doesn't really see a massive future in with the club. I, I might be wrong about that, but I just have always felt that Campbell wasn't Arsene's man. And when he was sent out on loan to Villarreal last year, it really felt like the end of his Arsenal career. As it transpired, Danny Welbeck missed the start of the season, Campbell stuck around, and he forged a little niche for himself in the squad. But as soon as other players came available, as soon as Alex Awobi emerged as an option, Campbell suddenly found himself out of the picture. And I'm he he might be kept around this summer, but I have to say, if I was him, I would really be thinking about moving on because mm. it's clear he's worked really hard, he's played really pretty well and yet it's clear the manager doesn't really see him as a, an important member of the squad so surely at his age and with international prospects to think of he's got to be looking at a, a move away yeah I would agree 100% with that I think that probably for his own sake he should be thinking about where to play football next because you look at what Walcott did against Sunderland mm. the way he wimped out of that tackle and yet he gets a place on the bench against Norwich and Campbell drops out of the squad completely uh, to make way for, for Santi Cazorla to come back in. Mm. So he's expendable. In the manager's eyes, he's completely expendable. He's the guy who it's not a problem to leave on the bench. Mm. Doesn't really have to have any confrontation. Doesn't have to give him an explanation. Whereas if, for example, he had, uh, he had left Theo Walcott out of the squad for the Norwich game and kept Joel Campbell in... I don't think, A, a single Arsenal fan would have batted an eyelid at that, if only for it being surprising from an Arsene Wenger point of view. But B, it was, it, it was just no less than he deserved. Well, I think it would have made headlines, but on form it would have been a more sensible choice. Yeah. I understand the idea of keeping Walcott in your matchday squad. He's got a, a rather unique attribute in his pace. But on form... Campbell's certainly the superior option. I, I do feel for him. Uh, I'm not sure that, you know, I think he's massively exceeded expectations when he's been called upon. Yeah. You mentioned that Sunderland example where Walcott jumped out of the way of the ball. There's no way Campbell would have done that. I, I honestly, I'd stake, you know, I'd mm. stake a lot on it. He, he's been very committed when he's played. His tackling's been impressive. He's been physical. Um, you know, he, he deserves a chance somewhere. I just feel that sometimes, you know, it's difficult to say we don't see him in training every day. We don't know what the manager knows about him that we don't. It's clear that he just doesn't really fancy him. Yeah, I think that's true. I think he's made his mind up about him. And I think he thinks he's he's expendable. And uh, I think that's what happened. As for who's next, I've got oh. no idea. I don't know who the next... What was the question? Who is next to who's the, Who's going to be the next youngster to make it? It's hard, it's impossible to know, isn't it? Because, you know, six months ago, you wouldn't have said Alex Iwobi is going to be the guy. Mm. I don't think so, really. So I don't know. It's very, I mean, very we, difficult to know. Um, we had high hopes for uh, Tuba Akpom back in preseason, mm. but he hasn't set the world alight, has he, at Hull particularly? No. Um, 
there haven't been many goals. He's he's played a lot of minutes as a substitute here and there, but yeah. apart from a, a notable FA Cup hat trick, he's not been particularly among the goals. Mm. I just trying to think of anyone else who's been out on loan and impressed really. Um, no one, I don't know. No I mean, I think out. when you look at the squad, everyone loves a young guy coming through. And you, we heard a little bit about a phobie. Uh, you know, people were were complaining when Benic Afobi joined Bournemouth. Uh, because he scored a lot of goals when he went down the leagues. He, he scored for MK Dons, he scored for Wolves. But, you know, I, I, I find it hard to tally the idea of fans who want and understandably want a world-class striker at the same time complaining that we sold Benny Kafobe. Mm. Um because he wouldn't be the player he is now had he not been playing regularly lower down the leagues. And there certainly wouldn't have been the patience for him as a striker at Arsenal, if he'd been playing and struggling and developing as a young player, there wouldn't have been the patience. He'd have been written off. People would be saying he's shit after three games, you know? So it's, um, it's a very difficult one. And I think come this summer, the, the, the purchases that we make are going to need to be established players, which Stella. again makes it, yeah. again, makes it more difficult for, um, for, uh, for young players to come through. I think in the case of someone like a phobie, the, the frustration is probably more, not so much that people feel that he should be, you know, the replacement for Olivier Giroud, but maybe mm. that uh, somebody like a Yaya Sanogo, for example, was brought in and given a chance, perhaps at his expense. Yes, I get, I get that. Like, I do yeah. get that for sure. But then I think much of that coincided with with uh, a phobie's uh, knee injuries, Injury didn't problems. it? You know, of course. So there we go. Have you got another one? Uh, by the way, on the youngster thing, just because I feel we should, I'm going to say the Jeff. Oh, fuck. How could <laughs> we have forgotten the Jeff? Well, I tell you what, mentioning Campbell, I think what Jeff's got that Joel doesn't is Fenger's faith. I think that's clear already from the way he talks about him, from the way he's sought to involve him with the first team where he can. Mm. Uh, he's, you know, he's a, a guy that he has clearly been involved in the identification of and been personally invested and excited about bringing over and I think that stands him in very good stead so I think next season potentially he's got a chance of, uh, of having a crack in the first team yeah. at some stage Alright, have you got one? Uh, I do, yeah, hang on, let me have a look though I, by the way, I, I enjoyed this one from uh, Khalid who's at O to be a Guna 13, he said how can two adults constantly forget whose turn it is to read the question? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I genuinely am never really sure Yeah, that's true um, so I'll have this one from Nicholas Owen. He says, will we see Thomas, as in Rosicki, I assume he means, again, if we don't beat City? Or uh, or, do, or if Spurs remain in reach, could we start him over Ramsey? Do you oh. think we'll see Thomas Rosicki? See, this is a very in interesting one. Yeah, this is an interesting one. Because let's say we get a result against Man City. Mm. What happens? Okay, i got to look at the table here. Because we're we're recording just before Chelsea and Tottenham play, we went uh, we went through our um, we went through our things, didn't we? The uh, predictions. The we predictions. didn't do the predictions this okay, week. Okay, predictions. We both predicted Leicester would lose against Manchester United. They keep on surprising us. So they keep on surprising us. Uh, I predicted a loss for Tottenham, and you predicted a win for Tottenham tonight, and we both predicted a win for Arsenal yesterday. Um, so, so we didn't right touch there. on Leicester. I mean, uh, it's all done and dusted, isn't it? Very much. I mean, I, I don't want to jinx it too hard, but they're, they're going to be fine, right? Well, <laughs> I mean, 
what what happens? Like Tottenham have to win tonight, don't they? Yeah. By the time most people listen to this, they Leicester may well be champions. Yeah. Always underwhelming when you when you win it when you're not playing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Fuck that. Who wants to win it like that? I know. Well, I mean, I suppose the play, for the players, it's all right. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> they can I'm, all I'm chill sure, out in front of the TV. Sure, I'm sure the Leicester fans won't give a fish's tit how it's won. You know, obviously, you would if you can win it by a guy scoring a goal in the last minute at home, like a diving header, a thirty-yard diving header, something ridiculous. That's the ideal. But if you win it because, let's say, Branislav Ivanovic scores a goal in the last minute to deny Tottenham a win. I think, I think that's just as good. Really, they they're gonna love it all the same. So yeah, um, so yeah, we'll see. Hopefully, by the time most people listen to this, Leicester will be champions. But it's an interesting question because if we get the result against Manchester City, if we beat Man City, we'll be on seventy points. They'll be on sixty four points, which means we will have third place. So well, even, whether- even a point will. Oh no, I'm wrong. A yeah. win. It has to be a win. Has to be a win. But then it raises the specter of whether or not we want to finish above Tottenham, um, and well, whether somebody, that's an important. Somebody thing. else asked me is is that is that still possible? Who was it? Um, it I mean, it um, is still possible, yeah. Uh, but it but requires. Do we think it's? Do we think it's possible? It was at that Guna. So do you reckon there's still a chance of us finishing above Spurs? I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure. I, do, I don't think so. And I think probably on the final day of the season, if we beat Manchester City, you will see an Arsenal team that contains. Ospina, Mikel Arteta, Thomas Rosicki. Matthew Flamini? Matthew Flamini. I think he could do that because it's going to be the final appearance for many of those players. John uh, Campbell, the farewell tour. Yeah, I think that that could be the case. Whether it's whether it's affected Olivia by whether Giroud, or not... Theo Walcott. <laughs> all of Meza them. Meza Alexis Sanchez. <laughs> Pretty much all of them, yeah. Arsene Wenger up top. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's possible that we could see uh, a different kind of team if we beat Manchester City this weekend, yeah. A good team? Oh, that'd be exciting. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, well, that would be interesting. I hope of all those players... And as fantastic a servant as Arteta has been, uh, as you know, as much as we've valued Flamini's versatility and commitment at times, Rosicki is the one who I would love to see in an Arsenal shirt one more time. Yeah, yeah. I think he's saving him for that. I think it would be nice and apt and fitting if he could play on the final day of the season. I think Arteta as well merits a game because of the yeah. contribution he's made to the club since he joined in 2011 you know a team that was in fucking it was just an absolute shambles and uh, uh, himself and Mertesacker played a, a big part in in uh, helping solidify things and uh, st- stabilising things and helping us move forward a bit so yeah I'd, I'd love to see it actually I'd love to see the two of them but obviously it depends on on what's going to happen so look um, that's just about that I think it is but I, I mean, it is. listen, Steve of the cream egg fame. Yeah, Steve. If you're still there, Steve. We, we've got to do one for Steve, don't we? I mean, we have yeah, to do that, one. Have you got one? I have got one. Whose turn is it? That's the real question, guys. <laughs> Whose turn is it? I think it's mine. Okay. Okay. Well, you, I'll, I'll let it be you because this I one, don't know. This one comes from Arsens underscore zipper, who is S-K-I-G-A-W out. So that's okay. Stan Kroenke. Oh, but Ivan that, that yeah, Ivan Gazidis, Arsene Wenger, but it makes a brilliant name. S K I G A W, Skigor. 
Skigor out. Skigor out. Out, Skigor! <laughs> I like it. But it's he, like something from Game of Thrones. Yes, which I'm um, about to watch this evening, and I believe it's uh, it's very exciting and stuff. Oh, right. Well, I'm going to watch that rather than watch Chelsea versus Spurs. Okay, I'm going to hopefully watch Leicester be crowned champions by Branislav Ivanovic. Yeah, last-minute goal. Uh, yeah, that'd yeah, be lovely. Okay. But anyway, he wants to know, naked in a field, without any weapons, how many zombie babies could you take on? Okay. How old, how, what sort of baby age are we talking here? Well, you see, that's what I was thinking. Like, if it was just babies, it'd be fucking easy. Stomp, 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 stomp. You just stomp around. But if it was Zombies baby, to- baby toddlers, oh, that'd be uh, to- like... Toddlers, I've got no chance. By the way, yeah. why am I naked? I don't know. How does that affect the question in any way? <laughs> because I guess if you were standing there wearing clothes and a pair of big boots, you would be pretty much immune to a baby passing on the zombie. What? Because if you get bitten by I a zombie, see, right? You I get, see. But if you're naked, then you don't have the protection of clothes. But of course, remember, I think you could take on thousands. Thousands. All you would need to do is reach into your scrotum and take out that cream egg testicle of yours <laughs> and fling it one way and they'd all chase after it and you could just uh, escape the other way. That's not a bad shout. That's not a bad shout. I think, even if I didn't have the cream egg, I would back myself against... about seven? Seven babies. Like babies or toddlers? Are we talk- What are we talking here? I'm talking crawling. Crawling, okay. I just think it's the problem is that if you're dealing with one and another one... But babies are slow, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. There's only one way to sort this out. Babies are rubbish, really. They're Get just... me some real babies to practice with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the only way we can find out. Listen... Unfortunately, <laughs> a our, and, our, our budget doesn't our budget doesn't stretch to that. And b if we did have you in a field naked with a load of babies, yeah, I don't know that it would go down. It's very political well. correctness gone mad. <laughs> <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> okay, okay, all right, fine. Well, I think seven is that. Do you think that's conservative? Do you think you could do more? Yeah, I, I reckon I could do fifty at least. At least fifty. Yeah. I'm I'm much more nimble. I'm not very nimble, but I'm much more nimble than a baby. And perhaps than me. Yeah. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, it sounds as if you, you're confident. 50? Yeah. yeah. I'd like to see it. Okay. Well, one day. One day. When the apocalypse happens. I look forward to it. <laughs> All right. Well, look, we're going to leave it there. We've got a game again. When is Man City? Is it Saturday or Sunday? It's at the weekend in some form or shape. It's Sunday, four o'clock. Sunday, 4 o'clock. Okay, well, we'll be here next Monday to discuss it. I'll be here on Friday with an Arscast to look forward to it because it's going to be it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be gonna like be a... Oh, James, dare I say like a final? I think... I, it really feels like one. I'm going to be down there <laughs> from the morning, you know, in my with my half and half scarf. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, look, uh, Manchester City, of course, playing uh, Champions League this week, aren't they? Yes. So they a could real, be... A real-life semi-final. Mm. So they could be either distraught or knackered or very happy and reinvigorated. So I think we're looking 
God, it's a horrible week, isn't it? You want, A, you want Cristiano Ronaldo and Gareth Bale to do well, and you also want, like, Chelsea to do well tonight. This is disgusting. What a world it's become. Fuck this shit. The okay. zombie apocalypse is on the way next as well. Watch out, 50 babies. I'll get you. <laughs> We're coming for you. All right, catch you on the next one, folks. Thanks for listening, as always. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.